This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. Ryan Kennedy is back as usual. And Kenneth Campbell is back with a spiffy new haircut. And if you're watching, he's got a nice little blue chair. It looks like he's a little, a little boy in his little blue chair. We're happy to have him back. And we have a pretty big story to lead it off today. It's a, it's, it's a disturbing story, controversial story. The Arizona Coyotes, their draft pick 2020, Mitchell Miller, it was revealed yesterday that he had quite a checkered past. And I have some excerpts from the story from the Arizona Republic. We know that it was the, the student's name was Isaiah Meyer Crothers, a black student who was also uh, physically disabled, I believe, mentally physically disabled. He was assaulted in the past by, by Mitchell Miller. He was teased. A whole, a whole bunch of horrible stuff was done to him by this draft pick, Mitchell Miller. And then on the other hand, we have the Arizona Coyotes. Their president and CEO, Xavier Gutierrez, is defending Mitchell Miller, defending the pick, saying that, you know, we're taking it upon ourselves because the Coyotes have made a lot of efforts to promote inclusivity. They're trying to use him as an example. They're going to try and help make him better. So it's a, it's a heavy topic to tackle, but we'll start with you, Kenny, because I know you wrote about it already. Do you see this as a young man that deserves a second chance or are certain things just unforgivable? And is it a bad idea what the Coyotes are doing with this draft pick? I, I think drafting him was a bad idea for the Arizona Coyotes. When you don't have three picks, when you've traded away two of your picks and lost one of them in a scandal, when you're hanging on, your, on a thread in your own market, when you've been surrounded by all of the soap opera that the Arizona Coyotes have over the year, the last thing you need to do is invite a public relations nightmare like this with, your with a fourth round pick. So yes, I think it was a really bad idea for the Arizona Coyotes to have picked this player uh, for if for no other reason, then they just really don't need a headache like this at this time when they're trying to establish themselves, when they're trying to get a new arena, when they're trying to, you know, talk about the inclusivity and, and everything that they've been doing. Really bad move from a public relations standpoint, I thought. Um, as far as the other stuff, Matt, there's no easy answers. In my opinion, there are zero easy answers. You, you know, I mean, I think one thing we have to talk about is that the, the, the actions that, uh, that Miller took, he was 14 years old when he did them, right? Um, and that doesn't excuse his behavior because I know we, we all did stupid things when we were younger, but I think even at the age of 14, we would have known that what Mitch Miller did to this young boy was wrong. Even at the age of 14, you know the difference, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is it happened four years ago. He's, he, there has been some dispute over whether or not he's actually apologized and been remorseful for it. He says he is. He says he's learned from it. He's paid his price. So the question is, is how long does someone have to live with their sins? I, I don't know the answer to that. Does he deserve a chance to have a career in the NHL? I, I don't know. Those are, those are really, really... Like, it's a really difficult, there's some really uncomfortable and difficult questions that have to be asked here. Yeah, and I think that's what is at the crux of the matter for me is, you know, when you look at all the things that are revolving around hockey culture right now, in terms of, you know, diversity and inclusion, this feels like an example where, you know, Akeem Alou was essentially blackballed from the NHL through no fault of his own for basically sticking up for himself against bullies. And he was the one blackballed. 
instead of say Steve Downey, for example, the perpetrator. And, you know, with, with Mitch Miller, does he deserve a chance? Well, maybe, but what's troubling to me is that, you know, I, I talk to agents all the time. I talk to scouts and, and things like that. And there will be players on draft lists that are taken off draft lists or the, they're put at the bottom because, you know, maybe the players are going through something in their lives. Maybe they have some mental health issues that they're dealing with and, and teams don't want to, some teams don't want to deal with that. They just say like, ah, we've got enough baggage, even though it's not the fault of the player and it's something they're working towards and it's nothing nefarious. Those players may not have gotten drafted, but this kid who is perpetrating bullying, Arizona was like, yeah, that's fine. So to me, it's very topsy-turvy. It's like, okay, you don't want baggage, but then you, then this team is like, no, no. Bring on the baggage. We like how he moves the puck up the ice. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's interesting to me is let's say that Mitch Miller becomes an NHLer and he's in the air, he's in Arizona. If you are a free agent or if you're on Arizona and say you are black or say you're somebody that works with, you know, charities that are, you know, involved with uh, kids that are developmentally delayed or, or something of that matter, do you want to be on his team? Or if, you know, if a player gets cut in favor of Mitch Miller, what's to stop them from saying like, oh, okay, so he gets to stay, but I go? I didn't do anything wrong. It just feels like culture-wise, it, it's not worth the risk. Right. Yeah. You guys make really good points. And it's kind of like, you know, you look at the big picture, it's like Akima Lou doesn't get a second chance in the NHL, but this kid's going to get a second chance. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible for him to be reformed, but you know, this is only four years ago. He was only, he was 14, but it, it was recent. And it's not like this was a one-off incident where he slipped up and he said this horrible thing once this was a pattern of repeated abuse. And this, this kid, Meyer Crothers, he said, that you know, Miller had taunted him, calling him Brownie, calling him the, the N-word, and hitting him, beating him up, and doing so many horrible things to him. Like this, That's evil. That's not a one-off. That, to me, that's a pattern of, I would use the word evil. I, I, I would word it that strongly. And to me, it's like, okay, well, can, can he be reformed down the line? Maybe, but maybe, you know, maybe it means he can be reformed and, and have the right to do something in life that is fulfilling, but maybe he shouldn't have the right to have the privilege of playing NHL hockey. That's one thing that I consider. So, you know, I, I can understand what the Coyotes are going for, but I, I, I don't personally like the idea of drafting someone who, again, who, when the, when the behavior is that consistent for that long, repeated abuse, it's, it's pretty sickening to me. And it's pretty, I, I'll use the word again, it's evil. Um, now, there's two things that I'd like to say if, if yeah, sure. about that, just to, just to finish off this issue. I think number one, the thing we have to realize is that if Mitch Miller were a Canadian kid, we would legally not be able to be even talking about him right now and what he did because of the Young Offenders Act in, the, in, in Canada. I mean, you're not allowed to publicize names. You're not allowed to, like, he wouldn't, have, he, wouldn't have been a convict, he wouldn't have been convicted of anything. I think that's one thing to mention, too. I think the other thing we have to mention also is that, and this is important, like, this story blew up yesterday, but it's been known in hockey circles forever. People have known this. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to pile on the Coyotes right now, but what about USA Hockey? 
He's been on three national teams since he did this. And they, they, and I, I don't buy that they didn't know because even if they didn't know, they should have known. But he's been on the, are their, their Helenka Gretzky team and he's been on two uh, World uh, Junior Challenge teams. What about them? What about the University of North Dakota that just gave him a, an athletic scholarship? What about the USHL that made him a first team all-star last year? I mean, I think we have to, you know, I mean, it's, and, and that's the reason why I wanted to say this is I think it's important that, you know, we are taking the Coyotes to task here, but they're not the only ones. This has been a, an open secret in, in hockey circles for a long time. Mm -hmm. And there have been a lot of other people who have either A, looked the other way or B, thought along the lines of, yes, he's contrite. Yes, he can be rehabilitated. Yes, he deserves another chance. Excellent points, Ken. And, and I do want to apologize. I, I believe I, I referred to Isaiah Meyer-Cruthers as mentally uh, challenged. I meant to say developmentally. So I just misspoke there. I apologize. Uh, next up, you know, we know the, the, J, the, the NHL met with GMs last week and started covering a, a bunch of details and ideas about whenever the season resumes. And we know coming out of those meetings from what Bill Daly was saying, the NHL is still shooting for January 1st. I'm pretty shocked to hear that it's still considering that realistic idea. And it's still going for an 82-game schedule. I think both are pretty ludicrous ideas. I'm curious what you guys think. Ryan, where do you stand? Can this actually happen? <laughs> well, you know, I look at what the, the NBA has said recently. Commissioner Adam Silver, if I'm not mistaken, said that, you know, the NBA is shooting for um, like a Christmas start for their next season. And we know that, you know, hockey and basketball, they've kind of, followed each other during these times and obviously you know same arenas in in many cases literally the same arenas are, are being used for both sports um you know i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor so i'm not sure if the fact that you know when a hockey game is an arena it's obviously a lot cooler uh, you know because you need the ice than in basketball and, and maybe that uh would be a reason to delay hockey further than basketball because of the you know the the COVID 19 droplets uh, in a potential arena, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist to begin with. I, I, I don't know what kind of arena capacity they're thinking about when this hypothetical January 1st uh, start commences, but it, it feels at this point that if there, and, and this <laughs> rightly or wrongly, if there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, I mean, football's back and there's, you know, fans in some of the stands, I know, if they want to do it, it feels like there's probably a path. Is it the right thing to do? I mean, who's to say it's a, you know, you don't have to go to the games if you're a fan. Um, and obviously they're going to take a lot of precautions, but it, it feels like if they want to do it, it's, it's going to be there. I don't know if 82 games is necessary. Um, I kind of feel like 70 would be good in even a healthy year uh to eliminate back-to-backs or at least you know minimize them but I, I feel 70 would be fine yeah guys uh i mean there's a lot of moving parts here obviously you know i mean i think not the least of which you got to think about the olympics next summer as well can you go into the summer you know nbc is, has got the olympics nbc's also got hockey i don't think that nbc is going to be too thrilled about hockey competing with its Olympic property in the summer. So you've got to think about that. Um, you know, there's so many things that we don't know. Um, I, I never say never with Gary Bettman now because I think there were a lot of people who 
thought there was no way that the NHL was going to be able to pull off what they did this year. And I was one of them. I thought they might be able to do it, but I also thought that, you know, there would be all kinds of stops and starts. They'd have to shut down for a while because of positive tests and everything. They did 30,000 tests. They didn't have a single positive. I mean, I'm never going to say never with Gary Bettman and the NHL because they did such an amazing job this time around. I'm dubious about an 82 game season. What I'm actually hearing and talking to uh, some of the governors is that what I think is going to happen is the way it's, I think, I think it's pretty well sort of decided that there's going to be four divisions. One of them is going to be a Canadian division because the border is still going to be so uncertain at that point. Right. Um, and what's, and the way they, I think they're going to start it is they're going to have two week bubbles. So you're not going to go in for three months. You're going to go in for two weeks. You're going to play eight games. You're going to come out for a couple of weeks. Then you're going to go back in for two weeks, play eight more games, come out. Then maybe they move to like a weekend series, like you see in baseball. So like the Philadelphia Flyers would go into Pittsburgh for a weekend series. You know what I mean? And then you see where things are at and you sort of adjust to that. I think we're looking at, I'm hearing 56 games. That's around the sweet spot. I think that we're going to see um, mm -hmm. for this season, but a lot of it still depends on, Medicine, testing, borders, a lot of things that are completely out of the NHL's control at the moment. Right, right. And, and it's interesting because, you know, especially from the player standpoint, you know, something that I did a lot of work on last week, talking to the, the, the guys who train the players, especially coming out of the bubble, it was they're all mentally in pretty rough shape. So I know that on the PA side, there isn't going to be a pretty strong appetite for any kind of bubble scenario. And I know from the owner side, so we had Bill Foley on the show yesterday, and he was saying that, you know, with no fans in the stands, they, they're looking at having to invest $125 million in the team just to be able to keep things going this year, right? And that's, that's what's going to cost them to play the next season. So I know that there's a big appetite on the owner side for traditional games with fans at least 50%. We know players are going to want more of a traditional lifestyle as well. So if there's no bubble setup, even though I think what you're saying, Ken, what you're hearing, I think that's a really good idea. But if it's yeah. not going to work, I think you have to throw out the idea of 82 games and what I, would, what I would kind of suggest is 56 schedule, but also you do something like you space games out so that teams only play a couple times a week in that scenario because it's different. You know, baseball has the ability to stage double headers. Football has bye weeks, and they only play once a week. Right. For hockey, 82 games just with the amount of, you know, you have the schedule uh, frequency of basketball, but you have, you have the contact of football and you have indoors. So there's so much working against hockey compared to almost every other sport. I think you'd have to have some sort of, safety nets built into the schedule if you're not bubbling it's like okay you play two games a week so that that way if there's a positive test you can ship games and you have you know several days of open space where you can move things around like we've seen often in the nfl where you know teams are playing on tuesdays or things like that uh but i i do agree ken i think that a bubble it, it's you know it's, it remains to be seen if the players would accept it but i think this coming season the best way for it to actually happen is again some variation of a bubble and, you know, it might not be fun, but it's the only realistic solution. Uh, another topic that was raised during GM meetings, a hot button topic, was the draft lottery. And I don't know, I see this as a little bit of sour grapes, but I'm curious what you guys think. You know, some, some mystery GMs were talking about the idea that they want the draft lottery to be changed so that the odds are better for the worst teams because we're seeing sort of frequently the team that actually has the worst record not winning the lottery and we of course we saw Detroit get really jobbed this year missing out on the top two picks uh so I'm curious do you guys think that's a fair idea do you believe 
that the worst team in the league should have better odds? Or is it sort of just, no, take your medicine. Too bad. What do you think, Kenny? <sighs> this league drives me to drink sometimes. It really does. Like, decide what you want. Like, decide what you want. Don't shut the league down for a year to get cost certainty in the form of a salary cap and then complain that you have to adhere to a salary cap. You know, don't institute a draft lottery and then complain that the worst team doesn't get the first pick. The reason why you put a lottery in in the first place was to keep teams from tanking. Okay, so did you not see this coming? Did you not see the day when a team would, you know, clearly be the worst team in the league and get jobbed in the lottery? Of course it was going to happen. Of course it was going to happen. You know, to me, it's like... Just pick one. Just pick one and stick with it and stop complaining. Like, if, 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 you want to, if you want to keep teams from tanking and you don't want to keep rewarding the team that's so bad, uh, you know, year after year, then put in a draft lottery and live with the results. Or just let the worst team have the, have the first pick. I don't have a problem either way. Just decide on one and stop complaining about it. Yeah, I agree. We don't want you to be bad. That should be the message in the NHL. We don't want franchises to be bad. You don't want the Philadelphia 76ers process that they had in the NBA a couple of years ago, which has not borne any championship fruit, by the way. Go back a couple of years when the lottery was slightly different. You know, Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken, they were the worst team in the league. Edmonton won the lottery to get McDavid, but Buffalo picked second and got Jack Eichel a fantastic player in his own right. The Sabres have not made the playoffs since that pick. So even when the lottery was slightly different and the worst team got the second best pick, it didn't matter. And then Buffalo got Rasmus Dahlin a couple of drafts ago. They still haven't made the playoffs. Rewarding bad teams with the best young players doesn't make bad team good. We've just, it's, this is what we've seen. I'm, I'm actually... I'm very happy for Alexi Lafreniere that he gets to go to a Rangers team that already has Artemi Panarin, that already has Mika Zibanejad, that already has Jacob Trouba on defense, that has a great young goaltender in Igor Shosturkin. You know, he's going to a situation where he can thrive right away and the pressure's not all on his shoulders. And, you know, I mean, did the Rangers deserve the number one pick? I mean... I don't know. I mean, they were a decent team, um, but they were not a traditional playoff team in a, in a usual year. Sorry to the bad teams, but, you know, get better. And if you get lottery luck, that's fantastic. Otherwise, just try to build from within. You know, I mean, if you look at Detroit, they picked fourth. They got Lucas Raymond, who's a fantastic young player. And then they got a couple more picks early in the second round that I thought were home run picks as well. So I think they did really well in the draft. Would they have preferred Lafreniere? Possibly, but who knows? Maybe Lucas Raymond will be better than Lafreniere in a couple of years. It's really hard to say. Yeah, really good points. And I'm with you guys, you know, we don't, we can't confirm for sure that the team that was raising the complaints was the Red Wings, but it's, it's, a, of course, it's a reasonable guess after what happened this year. But if that's the case, then you're basically admitting that you tank. If you're saying you're upset that you were so bad and you didn't get number one overall pick, well, then you're kind of in a way saying, yeah, we tried to be this bad and we didn't get rewarded. So I'm definitely all for a system that does not 
fully reward tanking. And the thing is, you know, what more can you ask for than you literally have the most lottery balls in the jar? Sorry, like we can't, like this year, of course, was a bit of an exception because Ottawa had San Jose's pick. So Ottawa technically had the most balls, but in traditional format, when there aren't, you know, when picks haven't been traded, the lot in the current setup, the worst team in the league still has, what is it? Eight, 18 and a half percent. You have the most balls in the jar. Like, we can't give you more than that. You literally have most balls in the jar. So shut up. That's the way I see it. <laughs> uh, so last week, of course, the Chicago Blackhawks, they pulled the Rangers, as I put it uh, in the story I wrote, and they sent a letter to the fans detailing the commitment to a rebuild. Uh, and I'll, I'll elaborate on it a little bit because I did talk to Stan Bowman about it in detail. And, you know, the idea behind the letter was, yes, they absolutely studied what the Rangers did a couple of years ago. They, and Bowman, he did talk to Jeff Gorton. He got some advice. He wanted to know if Gorton regretted the move or whether it was a good decision. And the Rangers, they feel like it was a really good decision and things have gone so well for the franchise since. So the Blackhawks decided. Danny Wirtz was very involved as well, who has been promoted to the president job with John McDonough out. And Danny Wirtz and Stan Bowman, they cooked up the idea. But the main thing that Bowman was trying to tell everyone when he spoke to me last week was, we're not announcing the rebuild with this letter. We've already started. We're just sort of telling everyone, oh, here's what we've been up to. The rebuild is already under, underway. We've already bottomed out. We're on the way up. So that's sort of where they stand now. But the main question I have for you guys is, do you buy it? And do you believe that the Blackhawks really intend to keep the star core intact? The core four that's still there, Duncan Keith and Seabrook on defense, Taves and Kane up front. And they have expressed their unhappiness. Bowman told me last week that he has smoothed it over with them. And they understand now where the franchise is going, that they're still committed to winning, just maybe not right away. I'm still a little bit skeptical because the question is, you know, what happens if they're terrible, like really bad this year? Then what do you do with your stars? So Ryan, we'll start with you. If you're the Blackhawks, do you envision yourself actually trading away these stars? Or do you really believe what the letter is saying right now? And do you think that there's still room for the team to succeed and still keep the, the veterans as part of the, the solution going forward? I believe it. And you know, part of the reason is because we've seen time again, time and again, that when you're rebuilding, you can't just purely go young. You need veterans to help these kids along. And you also want to make sure that your dressing room isn't a losing culture. And, you know, that was a problem for years in Edmonton when they were making all those number one picks is they really didn't have anybody around who remembered or, or ever knew what winning was. In Chicago, you've got these core guys They've got the rings. They know what the top of the mountain is and they know how to get there. So to have Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook around to help mentor Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkett, Adam Boakvist, Ian Mitchell, all the young kids that they're accruing right now, I think it's a great mix. And at least in the short term, you're okay because you're dealing with a lot of entry-level contracts and you know bridge contracts versus these big ticket deals that those guys still have. Now, you know, Brent Seabrook's the exception because it kind of feels like his effectiveness as an NHLer is done and he does have a big contract. So barring him being on LTI for the rest of his career, there, there might need to be something done there. Uh, with the other three, you know, to varying degrees, you have effective players. I mean, Patrick Kane is still putting up a ton of points. Uh, you know, Taves isn't the same as he was a couple of years ago, but I mean, he's still a two-way player and Duncan Keith is still a pretty effective defenseman as well. So I feel you keep those guys on at least for another couple of seasons. And, you know, 
once the salary cap starts going back up again, then it's not as bad that you have these big ticket guys on in the twilight of their careers. But for now, I think they are tremendous mentors. They can still log ice time for you and be effective players. And the kids, they got to earn their spots. And I think, you know, having some internal competition is, is crucial as well. You know, guys, I, I'm, if I'm a Chicago Blackhawks fan, I'm no more clear on what their plan is today than I was when they put this letter out. I'm not, because the letter says something, but their actions say something else. I think the absolute worst thing that could have happened to the Chicago Blackhawks was exactly what happened to them this year, was that they, they, they shouldn't have been a playoff team under normal circumstances. They made the playoffs, they won a round, and, and they, they probably got convinced that this rebuild was further along than it actually is, and that they're better than they actually are. They're not a very good team, guys. They're a, they're a below average NHL team at best, and I see this quite differently. I, I think the way this is being approached right now, it's, it's the worst way to go. Because you're, you're, you, you're trying to keep your foot in two different places. Like you got one foot in the rebuilding and you got one foot in the, yeah, we're still going to sort of try to kind of be good, maybe. Like that just leads you to hell. That just leads you to the mushy middle of the NHL where you're not good enough to make the playoffs and you're not good and you're not bad enough to get the impact players you need to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I think this is not the way to go. Um, and I know that you do need those guys around and, and that, but like how good is Duncan Keith to you if you're losing all the time and he's miserable, which he will be. Like, I know he's not happy with the losing that's going on in Chicago right now. And I can't imagine Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are. I can't see them dealing Taves because he just seems like the Stan Makita type, you know, like the, 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 the legacy player who plays his entire career there and, you know, moves into the front office and all of that other stuff. But I don't know. I just, I don't think you can talk out of both sides of your mouth. And I still feel like that's what the Chicago Blackhawks are doing. I'm, I'm no more clear on what their plan is than I was before. Interesting. And you know what's funny? So last week when I t- talked to Bowman, I actually asked him about the playoffs. And I said, you know, you guys won a series. I know you won a series, but you gave up that you were one of eight teams in this millennium that gave up more than 35 shots a game. Like the analytics were bad. You have the 23rd, 23rd best record. Did, did beating Edmonton change anything and kind of increase your confidence? He, he did say no. He said that he had already made up his mind on what the team was doing and that the playoffs didn't affect the plan. So that's interesting. But on the other hand, I did say, I said, you know, is your goal just to try and reload while Kane and Tate still have good years left? He also said yes to that. So there is sort of a straddling going on. Part of me wonders too, if it's sort of a kick the can down the road and, you know, say the right things now to appease that star core in case, in case Bowman's right and the Hawks can be decent this year. And if they're not, then, okay, you have to reassess at the end of next year and maybe make some tough decisions. And I do wonder, you know, Taves, he does feel like Mr. Chicago, but he's also a Manitoba boy. And we know that Winnipeg, they really <laughs> had to So I, was, I know they have, they brought in Paul Stasny for this year, but maybe, but you know, it's he only has one year left. So I was kind of wondering, you know, Taves, he loves his, he's, he's a Manitoba boy. He loves his fishing. And, oh, are you guys still there? I just lost my feed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, no, no, you're, 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 you're. Okay. Oh, okay, boy. Sorry, sorry. If, if you're listening or watching, I just, I just had a pop up on my screen. It took away my, my window there. But anyways, what I was saying was yes. So Taves would be a, I think, an interesting fit to go back to Winnipeg. And well, we what about Patrick Kane in Buffalo too? 
Why yeah, there you go. There you go. So there could be some interesting fits in terms of homecomings there down the road. But I, I believe that, that Bowman and the Hawks, they believe what they're saying right now. And it's just a matter of whether they're going to be right. With no Corey Crawford, that goaltending, whoo, mama. It should be yeah. – like, I, 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 I am the fourth-string goaltender in Chicago, by the way. Like, that's Colin how bad – Delia is number one. Colin yeah. Delia is their number one goalie going yeah, into – and I'm, I'm the number four. Like, I signed a league minimum. So <laughs> it'll be great. I can interview myself if I get to call play a game next year. Uh, so one thing we haven't discussed on the podcast recently, just the way the news cycle has gone, we actually haven't really delved into the Toronto Maple Leafs and their parade of old guys that are they're bringing in – these, these homecomings, you know, Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons. Of course, they also signed TJ Brody. But I'm curious for a big picture uh, assessment from you guys. Do you think this team has gotten better? It's changed its identity. The sort of depth elements of the lineup, they do look tougher to play against. I think they also look slower and definitely older. So we'll start with you, Ryan. Do you think the Leafs are a better team now than they were before the offseason started? I do. I think these were the changes that they needed. I think their defense core uh, looks maybe not a lot better, but, you know, with Jake Muzzin, you know, he'll be coming back healthy and then you get TJ Brody. I think, I think Brody's an upgrade to Tyson Berry. Just, it just didn't work out for Tyson Berry in Toronto. So I think that's helpful. You know, Zach Bogosian coming in, you know, he's not going to be a big minute guy, but at least, at least now they're not threadbare on the back end. Like they've got options. They've got at least seven guys that you would be comfortable with. And then you still have, you know, Timothy Liljegren coming up. You got Rasmus Sandin, um, who's NHL ready at this point and, and uh, has already played for the Leafs. So I think that helps. And up front, you know, like, yeah, they lost some speed, but they got what they didn't have. They got some physical guys. They got guys that will pay the price in front of the net. And, you know, they got guys that will stick up for their teammates. And I know that's, you know, I know that's, uh, that's old school thinking, but we saw it with Tampa Bay in the playoffs. It's, it's not that Patrick Maroon and Barkley Goodrow were the reason that Tampa Bay won the cup, but those guys helped the Braden points and the Victor Hedmans and the Nikita Kucherovs do their job so it's like yeah the stars were the reason they won but the supporting cast was there for a reason and i thought you know they were very effective in that regard that's what toronto's trying to replicate here it makes sense because we've seen it with the past uh several stanley cup winners in fact even going back to washington they've got tom wilson and a bunch of big dudes there um you know this is what toronto needed they needed a different look they were they were too much of the same players up and down the lineup and then, of course, you've got a couple of guys that you can really root for in that dressing room. If, you know, if you're Toronto, you want to win a cup for Joe Thornton. You want to win a cup for Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza. These are guys that are, you know, not only are they Ontario guys, but they're at that point in their careers where that's all they need is that ring. And I think that's a tremendous motivator. Yeah, I, I actually really like the Leafs' chances for the uh, 2006-07 season. I really, really do. I, I think they're going to be a really good team. Like, Joe Thornton's just won the Hart Trophy and had that big <laughs> year. And, you know, Zach Bogosian's just a teenager, and he actually isn't even in the league. Wait a second. No, like, okay. Okay, what, how many things can I unpack here in such a short time? Yeah, I'm just going to wind you up. We're talking about the yeah. Leafs, like Joe Thornton getting a Stanley Cup ring? What? Like, 
Joe Thornton putting the Leafs over the top? Over the top of what? Over the top of what? The first round? Okay. Okay. Maybe that changes. You know, maybe they're good enough to win a round in the playoffs. Oh, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. Yeah. Did you guys watch the playoffs? Did you watch the Stanley Cup final? The Leafs are nowhere near that level of play. I'm sorry. And to me, like, how can you possibly play Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, and Jason Spezza in the same game? Those three guys can't dress for the same games. They can't, can they? Why like, not? Can they actually dress for, this, for, for an NHL game, all three of those guys? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I like some of the things they did. I think they, I think they did some decent things. As you said, Ryan, they got tougher. They got more physical. They got a little more, a little more difficult to play against. I'm not sure they got that much more difficult to play against. The way I look at it, um, uh, Jake Muzzin was their toughest player before this year. Jake Muzzin is still their toughest player, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I mean, Joe Thornton is an upgrade on Freddie Gochek who gave them absolutely nothing in 60 games last year. Absolutely nothing. Joe Thornton will give them a little bit. He'll give them, I'm going to go with uh, eight goals and 29 assists, maybe. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I I just, I don't know, guys. I I just, I know it's a big man's game and you got to have the men, but the men got to be able to play too. You know, I mean, the, the, the lightning got tougher because Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman can play. You know, I don't think Zach Bogosian can play for the Toronto Maple Leafs the way he played for the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and, and fill that role. Mm-hmm. Um, they're better, yeah. Stanley Cup contender? No chance in my mind. No, no. Let's, let's talk about winning a round first. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about maybe getting to a conference final before we talk about this team being anywhere near being a Stanley Cup contender. And, and why stop there? Let's talk about making the playoffs. They had a three-point lead <laughs> when the season paused on March 12th. They were three points up on a, on a team that was out of the playoff picture officially. And I look at the moves and it's like, I don't even know if they've necessarily gotten better. And I know it's hard. People are hard. Uh, people get frustrated with, with the media in the treatment of the Leafs because it's like, make changes, make changes. No, not those changes. Right. So they did make changes. And I know, you know, I was in the, the season ending zoom, the Leafs did a big long zoom that took a big chunk of the day at the end of the season. And it was the, the most feisty I've ever seen Kyle Dubas. He was very defensive. And I don't mean that as criticism as in he was sticking up for himself. And one thing he said was, I know you guys think I want to build the team one way, but it's not true. As in, you know, I'm not just going for all skill, all analytics, because that was, that was sort of the knock on the team and the moves he's made this off season do reflect that, you know, he's made the team, I, I think, Harder to play against on paper, sure. Uh, uh, but like you said, Ken, it's like, it's not like these guys are Blake Coleman or Barkley Goodrow or Tom Wilson because they're just depth guys that are not going to make a huge impact in big minutes. So you're going to get a little bit of a lift and, you know, fourth line duty. But if you look at what, what's gone out, you know, Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, Kyle Clifford, Tyson Berry, Cody Cece, and, you know, Thornton Simmons, Brody Bogosian, Jimmy VC, Tyler, Travis Boyd. I don't know if that's actually better. I think maybe you're breaking even and Brody's a good get, but here's the thing. And I'm not a big intangibles guy for the most part, but one thing I do want to mention is, you know, I did a story and interviewed TJ Brody a while back. And one of the things that came out in the story was Brody is a very understated guy, a soft-spoken guy, shy. 
And that's not the personality that to me jives with top four defensemen in Toronto. We saw what happened to Jake Gardner. So from an intangible perspective, I worry a little bit about TJ Brody, his personality being a match for the pressure of this market. Yes, he's played in the Canadian market for a long time. So it's not like he's coming from, you know, Florida, but I still think there's a difference between Calgary and Toronto in terms of this, the, the brightness of the lights. And I, I'm not hundred percent sure that Brody's going to be a good fit just from an, a, a personal standpoint, but I could be wrong on paper. I understand the motivation for the move, but Brody, you know, he's a good defensive defenseman, but he's not a smack you in the mouth hard guy to play against. And I think what the Leafs needed was someone that has Bogosian skill set, but is better. So a, a Matt Dumba to me would have been a much better target than, than TJ Brody for that reason. But you know, that's my two cents. We'll see if they're going to be better. I personally think that I'm not even a hundred percent sure I'm going to put the Leafs in the playoffs. And I currently have Montreal ahead of them in my, my rankings for the Atlantic division, which is some people would disagree with. That's where I stand. Uh, let's do some listener questions. There's some good ones this week. We'll see how many we can get to. The first one is from Scott Baker. And Scott asks, why are so many solid free agents still outstanding? Is there a reason some teams wouldn't just offer one-year deals so there are no long-term flat cap repercussions? For the players, isn't one year better than none? So I'll take this one first because I did talk to multiple agents last week about this specifically. So there are a couple factors that are causing this big delay for certain middle-class free agents. One, of course, is the UFA negotiation window is gone, although it might be coming back next year according to the GM meetings, but it's gone this year. So all the contract talks, they start late. They start on October 9th at noon officially. So you couldn't have all these deals already lined up in advance. That's one reason. Number two, of course, the flat cap is a big killer. It's a killer for multiple reasons. So, so far, you know, it's harder just to stay under the cap, to be compliant. And a bunch of teams are already done their spending and they still have RFAs to figure out. And some teams can't even get their RFAs under the cap. So it's like chasing a UFA is a luxury right now for some of these teams. Like Dallas, Dallas Stars being a good example. They couldn't go after anyone. They had to worry about Hints and, and Faxer and Guriana before they could even consider chasing any new players. Uh, and there's also a stalemate. This is the thing that agents told me last week. There is a squeeze happening on the middle class and the players are sort of waiting out and the players that have waited this long are kind of screwed because they've waited too long and there's just no team out there that's going to give them the deal that they want, that they're actually worth. So you either wait, wait, or you end up doing what Evgeny Dodonov did with Ottawa and take a deal that's a lot less than what you're actually worth. He's a first-line player. He's getting paid probably a million dollars at least less than what he's actually worth because that's what was out there. So you are going to see guys squeezed. Next year, one agent was telling me last week that next year things are going to be better because Seattle is going to spend to the cap, take $80 million away from the other teams and free up space. So that's a motivation for sure to answer your question, Scott. One-year deals, good idea, because there'll be more money available to spend next year. So that's a long answer. I'm sorry, but I, guys were telling me the answers to this specifically last week. So I figured I'd go first. Kenny, do you want to add? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, are there that many really great free agents out there now is it is it is it a year that's an anomaly in that respect I mean you've got Mike Hoffman you've got Eric Halla you've got Sammy Vatanen you've got Anthony Duclair who's basically out there because he fired his agent and hired his father and really messed up his contract negotiations um mm -hmm. you know then you got your you know your Travis Hamanix who I think everybody thinks is basically going to Winnipeg you know Connor Sheary I mean I don't know. I don't think it's that huge a list of these like impactful guys. Um, you know, I would think that if I'm a player, I mean, it, it depends on what you want to do. I mean, yeah, one year is okay for some guys. Clearly it was okay for Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall was fine going on a one-year deal and, and then, you know, seeing what the market holds for him after a year of uh, playing in Buffalo. 
um, you know, maybe Mike Hoffman wants some security and doesn't want that one-year deal. Maybe he wants a longer-term deal and he's willing to take less money. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a, there's a squeeze. There's a there's definitely a squeeze, and I'm not shocked that this is happening because there's less money in the system, and when there's less money in the system, it's more difficult to get the deal you want. And I wonder if we even see some veterans go on tryouts. Uh, you know, professional tryout offers when, whenever camp begins, the, the Scotty Upshaw, as I call it. And yeah. the good thing is, you know, we have seen players such as Scotty Upshaw earn contracts off those PTOs. And, you know, guys like Troy Brower uh, have sort of popped in and out in the, in the past couple of years where they've bided their time. They found a situation where teams wanted some internal competition at camp and these veterans managed to earn contracts. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys. And I, I think it's, it's just a weird year. It's a weird year in the world and hockey is not immune. For sure. Uh, next one is from, is from Trin Potratz. And Trin asks, if you were a GM, which team would you least like to be in charge of based on their current cap situation? Great question. Uh, for me, I, I think it's the New York Islanders and it's not close. This team has done absolutely nothing this offseason because they were completely handcuffed. Your biggest addition is Corey Schneider, who's at best your number two, probably your number three behind Elias Sorokin. And they've just been unable to, to do anything. They had to give away Devin Taves for futures, even though this is a team that went to the conference final. They're a contender right now, and they just gave away one of their best defensemen because that's how screwed they are in their cap situation. They still have Mark Bar Matt Barzal to sign and Ryan Pulik to sign. They don't have enough cap space for either of them, or, or sorry, for both of them combined on paper. So the Islanders right now, as much as we always love to sing the praises of Lula Morello, I think they've really painted themselves into a corner and I don't see how this team's going to be better next year. They've already gotten worse and they may have to lose another piece just to get Barzal signed. So woof, Kenny, who do you have? Oh, for me, it's the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, you know, I mean, if I were, if I were Bill Armstrong, I'd be like, Oh, to be the New York Islanders and to have their problems. <laughs> At least they're good. You know, I mean, the Coyotes are, are a terrible key team. They're up against the cap. They couldn't trade their captain when they tried to. They, they, they didn't have picks in the first three rounds this year. They don't have a pick in the first and third round next year. They've got Clayton Keller signed to this contract, and he's not lived up to it at all. You know, I mean, to me, it's not even close. Like all the other teams that are in cap trouble, like, you know, like the Islanders, like Tampa, like Toronto, like, like at least they're good teams. You know, at least you've, you know, I mean, you're the, you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, that the shine on that Stanley Cup ring is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to be on there for a long time. But when you're the Arizona Coyotes and you're in this mess and you're spending to the cap, yikes. <laughs> well, I'm going to continue the one-upmanship and say at least Arizona won their qualifying round matchup. At least they qualified for the qualifiers. I'm going with the San Jose Sharks. This is a team with some devastating long-term contracts. Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and Mark Edward Vlasic combined, I think, are making $26 million next season. All of them are 30 and over, which is bad news. And this team was one of the worst in the league. They have several forwards on big time contracts as well. And they didn't get better. That's for sure. Uh, they didn't have, you know, and plus they didn't have their lottery pick because of the Eric Carlson trade. They gave it to Ottawa. So San Jose didn't end up drafting until the end of the first round. 
They don't have any impact prospects in their system right now. They've got a couple of decent guys like John Leonard and Ryan Merkley, but no blue chippers. And they already have massive long-term contracts that are going to be very difficult to unload. Okay. Time for a couple more quick ones because they're just really good questions. I wanted to try and squeeze them in. One is from Brandon Gallarneau. He says, if you had control of the locker room stereo, what pump-up music would you play to get game ready? I'm a 90s kid. I grew up on, you know, Rock'em Sock'em, even though, you know, I don't agree with the mentality of them anymore. But at the time, the music, Too Unlimited, the techno, jock jams, stuff you hear in the movie Space Jam. I want, I want 90s jock jams. That's my go-to. What do you think, Ryan? Well, I was definitely looking forward to this question because clearly I am the definitive authority. Uh, in no particular order, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica, Crunk in Yo System by Trillville featuring Pastor Troy, and Rumors of War by High on Fire. And if you just wanted an album front to back, the first Andrew W.K. album, I Get Wet. Okay. I heard of one of the things that you said, Ryan, and I heard of none of the things that you were talking about. I'm going to go old school and go with the Rolling Stones, Start Me Up. Right. I like Ryan, Ryan's album. It's like track one. <laughs> track two. <laughs> track three. <laughs> Uh, although I've heard of Andrew W.K., of course, huge Pittsburgh Penguins fans, fan. Uh, last one is from a former intern, Stuart Miller Davis from the Top Rope asks, what makes a player undraftable? Well, according to the Arizona Coyotes, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, having talked to scouts, there are certain things they watch for. Of course, you know, bad character usually for most teams is something they take uh, pretty seriously. Scouts will do things like they talk to a kid's high school principal. They talk to his teachers. They find out how he works with others. What are, what are his tendencies? You know, we can talk about hockey things like skating, but I think in terms of things that really get kids ruled out, I think it's more usually on the intangible side, like crazy parents. And one of my favorite ones is like, uh, what kind of penalties does the kid take? Is he taking penalties when his team, when, you know, his team's leading three, two in the third period and he retaliates, takes a selfish penalty, signs of selfishness, stuff like that. Uh, those are a few examples I can think of. Do you guys have any more? We'll start with you, Ryan. Yeah, character issues, uh, certainly. And uh, if you're short, you will not go in the top 10. <laughs> We've seen it pretty much every year. Even this year, Marco Rossi uh, went later than expected. And Marco Rossi is like built like a fire hydrant. Like he's not small, he's just short. But there is that lingering bias at the top end of the draft. And I would say the only other thing would be, you know, a lot of teams really value hockey sense and hockey IQ. Um, so if you don't have that, at the least, you're going to get knocked down a couple of rounds. But yeah, in terms of character, there are some red flags, but clearly there are some teams that are, are willing to overlook those. Yeah, not, not much to add there. I think it depends on the team, but, you know, a lot of teams put a lot of, lot more um, emphasis on character and, and backstory. Um, you know, I, th I think the ability to get around the ice is a big, big one. I, d I don't think if you can skate well, that you, it, your game is going to translate at any level or, you know, at the, at the next level. I think that's a big one too. Um, you know, I think a lot of it depends on the team, the year, the circumstances. Um, you know, like I, like, what the guy we talked about off the top, Mitchell Miller there, you know, clearly the Arizona Coyotes were comfortable taking that pick. I talked to scouts uh, with teams who said we knocked him off our list. Like if the draft had gone 50 rounds, we wouldn't have taken this guy. So one man's problem is another man's reclamation project, I guess. 
for sure. I, I, my favorite one of those, my favorite uh, way that a kid got ruled out is a scout told me once that they took a kid, a prospect to dinner and he was so thick skulled that he didn't know how to get home. Like he couldn't give them directions to his own house. And they were like, pass and they didn't pick the guy but he's in the nhl now and he's yeah and we know who that guy is and he's a pretty good player yeah, that's right don't, yeah. we won't say we won't yeah. out the kid but uh yeah he's, he's a pretty good player yeah uh before we end the podcast it's rapid fire time ken you are the host this week right on. you get to be the first answer i'll be the second answerer and ken okay. you can begin the game all right boys question number one with the borat subsequent uh, movie film coming out I want to know from you, what personality in the game would be the best hockey version of Borat? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to go Ryan Kessler, even though he's technically retired now. Ryan yeah. Kessler would be the guy. He's in me. the game. He's in the game still. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to say P.K. Subban because he's the most likely to ask tough questions and make people uncomfortable, push the envelope. Nice. And I'm going to go with Kevin Biaxa because he just yeah. did those, like, goofy sort of um, – Two you friends. know, disguise things when he was in Anaheim and he's, he's got the yeah. sense of humor for it. So that's my guy. Yeah. Number two, if there is a Canadian division, an all Canadian division next year, what team wins that division? Vancouver. Vancouver. I know I said, I know I said, I just dissed them, but I'm thinking maybe Toronto has a good chance. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, for sure. Has Vancouver okay. too. Even okay, number three, in honor of Halloween. Best, worst, and most underrated Halloween candy. Mmm. All right. Reese's peanut butter cups for best, candy corn for worst, and I'm going to say Tootsie Rolls for underrated. Okay. It lasts and long. This, for shame, Ken, this was a question on last week's rapid fire. Uh, and so what, we do the question. Yes, it was. Now we know Ken didn't listen to me at the No, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but although this is more detailed, we only did best. Okay. So, okay. Reese's peanut butter cup, best, worst. I'd say rockets. I, I hate rockets. Yeah. And most underrated. Uh, I'm. I'm. I, I ride or die for Twix. I always have. Okay. Uh, best. I'm gonna go with Kit Kat. Uh, worst. I'm gonna go with uh, Kiss Candies. Those are horrible. And most underrated Twizzlers. Uh, Twizzlers licorices. Nice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and number four, playing on Taylor, uh, playing on Jack Eichel's wing, Taylor Hall will score blank number of points next season. Projected over an 82 game schedule. I know we know it's probably mm -hmm. going to be different, but, but, but prorated over 82 games, how many points does Taylor Hall get next year? 75. I'll say 77. Yeah, I'm going to say 82. I'm going to say he's a point-of-game player. Okay? And last but not least, have you or anyone you've ever known ever actually dreamed of owning a Toyota? <laughs> no, I drive a Suzuki. No, I had to drive a Camry for my driving school when I was 16 with my instructor, Mr. Khan, and I was miserable. I, I, would, I would spaz and yell at him. So that's my association with a Toyota. Toyota Camry to hell with it. Yeah, you know what I'm doing. You know what I'm referring to. These commercials where yeah. people are dreaming of driving a Toyota. Like, yeah. who dreams of driving an effing Toyota for God's sake? Nobody. <laughs> That's it for me, boys. I'm out. All right. Thank you, Kenny, for Rapid Fire. Thank you for listening and watching, everybody. We will be back with more off-season talk next week.